Okay, well, good evening. <laughs> Welcome back to our Explore Bible Studies. You ready to explore the Bible? That's good. I'm happy you are. And uh, it's our first one of the new year. But we're going to continue with the, the, the studies of Paul's letter to the Romans. So, without further ado, let's open our Bibles in Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. As you turn in there, we're just going to have a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you once again. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, who is the very reason, Father. Lord, for everything that we do tonight. Lord, that his name might be exalted, that his name might be glorified as we seek the knowledge of you through him, through your word. Lord, we just pray once again, Holy Spirit, to help us to understand your word, to leave this place with a great understanding of your word, who you are, and Lord, what you're doing in us. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good. Good, 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 good. So, just very briefly, to recap, let's just uh, think about Paul's argument. Where we're at at the moment, we've looked at Romans chapter 1. And we looked at a little part of Romans chapter 2. And uh, if you remember, we kind of established that Paul, that he was, he was putting down a, a, a dark backdrop, if you want, a very, a very difficult situation. He's, he's described the human dilemma, the problem of sin with, within humanity, the problem that all of us have to deal with. And every single one of us have an issue with, and that is sin. Sin. And sin is destructive. And sin is contrary to the nature of Almighty God. And we've, um, we kind of, as we read through chapter 1, we could see that Paul was bringing an indictment against Gentile society, obviously Gentile being non-Jews. And again, you can imagine his, his imaginary Jewish opponent standing on the sidelines and listening to this indictment of, Jew, of, of Gentile society and hearing about how Gentiles are, are immoral and idolatrous and sinful and rebellious. And you imagine that Paul's fellow Jew clapping his hands and saying, absolutely right. Absolutely, I agree with everything that's been said. And then, when Paul's finished with the Gentiles, Paul turns his attention, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to the Jews, to his own people, which is quite shocking for them, right, to hear this kind of indictment against them. And uh, just, to, just to remember as well, we, we discovered that God has revealed himself, really, in, in two ways, two major ways to all of Gentile humanity. Do you remember what they were? Creation. Through creation, absolutely. What can you what can you tell us about creation? How does creation bear witness to God? How does it bear witness to the fact that there's a God? Sorry. Okay. Seasons. The fact that there's order within creation. The fact that you can walk around the woods and you can see very soon, as you walk through now, there are no leaves on the trees. 
very soon you're going to see life budding all across the forest. You can see ordered seasons, you can see weather patterns. You think about everything within the earth, everything within the, the systems of the earth, the complex systems of the earth, point to a creator. His signature is all over creation. And the idea is that God has not left himself without a witness, a sufficient witness. We, as human beings, we should be able to look at creation. We should be able to see the details of creation. And we should be able to recognize that it all points towards the creator. But beyond that, beyond the world around us, what's the second way that he's revealed himself? Conscience. Conscience. Moral conscience. When you watch your nature programs and you see your lions killing buffaloes, for example, or whatever else they're killing, you don't see them sitting there having a pity party later and you're thinking, I should have done that. I should have done that. Killed with You don't see that with the animal kingdom, do you? They just, they kill they are killed. But there's something different about a human being. A human being has a moral compass, has a moral conscience. And, and, and the fact is, the question is, where did that come from? Where did it come from? How is it that we can be distinguished from the rest of the animal kingdom by a moral conscience? It had to have come from somewhere. And it was God According to scripture, it was God that has given us that moral conscience, that moral conscience. That's good news. Okay, we were created in the image and the likeness of God. By, by, by saying that, what I'm saying is that we were created as, we were meant to be representatives of God in the earth. We've got something beyond the rest of the animal kingdom, you understand? We can be effective as representatives. That's good news, but it's bad news in that there is enough evidence against us now. The fact that creation is filled with his glory, the fact that creation reveals God, that there is a God, and the fact that we have a moral conscience given to us by God. There is enough evidence against us to condemn us because we've broken those moral laws. We're all guilty. We've suppressed the knowledge of God, the Bible says. We've, we've, we've pushed it aside. You know, though God may be very clear that he's real. We've pushed that knowledge aside. Why? Because if there is a God, then there are absolutes. Moral absolutes and there is accountability. What he says is right, is right. What he says is wrong, is wrong. But we're, we as human beings have decided to take our own path. Where we decide what is right and what is wrong. And it starts with rebellion in the Garden of Eden. And all of that, friends, is part of the indictment against us as Gentile human beings. But the Jews, and we see the story of Israel, we've talked about the covenants that God established with Israel in the Old Testament. We see that they are special in that God set them apart as a nation. And we know that there are people who have issues with that, even till today. There are people who have issues with the fact that Israel is set apart as a nation by God. And yet it was God himself who took the initiative to separate them, to set them apart, to use them. 
And so if we've got a problem with that, we've got a problem with God and His choices. However, however, God, God blesses them by giving Him these commandments. He gives them a more specific revelation of Himself. He gives them the law that we refer to as the law of Moses. He gives them the Torah. They can go deeper. They should have a deeper understanding of who He is so that they as a nation, they might be a light to all the rest of the world, to the other nations. And the idea is that, you know, people should be able to look at these people, the people of Israel, and see the character and the nature of God reflected as a light to all the world. That's how it should be, but it isn't, unfortunately. Is it? It isn't. And Paul is going to explain why that is in these next few verses. But well, let's just pick it up. We're going to read from verse 12 to verse 16. Verse 12 to verse 16. I'm just going to read the last verse of the, verse 11, just, just for you to understand a principle here. For there is no partiality with God when it comes to judgment. There is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or, or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Goodness me, what's he talking about here? So let's just break this down. Let's think about what he's saying. So, the first principle is all that sin, all who sin apart from the law, the Torah, are Gentiles. And all who sin under the law, the Torah, are Jews. Is everybody clear on that? That's what he's getting at. You need to hold that in your mind as we read through these verses. Those who sin apart from the law, Gentiles. Those who sin under the law, Jews. Right. Gentiles will perish without the law, without direct awareness of the law. They don't know the Torah. They don't have all the, all the ins and outs of the Torah. They don't have that specific revelation. But what do Gentiles have? What do we have, Gentiles? Creation. Moral conscience. Yeah? There's enough to condemn people. Okay? So you have... You have you have creation and you have moral conscience. So there's enough to understand that there is a God, but we've suppressed that. But again, the Jews have got something a bit more, they've got the Torah. Gentiles will perish without direct awareness of the Torah, and Jews will be judged by their Torah. So you can see God is going to judge humanity based on the amount of revelation, if you want, that is available to Gentiles and Jews. Is everybody with me on that? Yeah. Okay? And we know we're going to see 
that everybody's guilty. Why? All Jews, they hear and they read the Torah. Every Saturday in the synagogues all across the world, if you go, they have a specific reading of the Torah. The first five books of the Bible, by the way, okay? So they can, they can recite the Torah. It's quite incredible. If you see them, you know, in, in, in the yeshivas, the Jewish schools, they'll sit there and they learn to recite the Torah. They sit and debate one another at certain levels of their education as well. It's quite incredible that even as young children they can recite the Torah. They'll hear it and they read it. They honor it. The Torah, the scrolls of the Torah, are kept within what they call the Ark. They have a special place within the synagogue. They're separated from the rest of the synagogue by the, the curtain, the special curtain. They bring it out. There's a special ceremony before, as they lay on, on the, I can't remember what it's called, like a, like a pulpit or lectern, and they'll read from the Torah. It's, it's, they honor it as God's word. But the problem is that the required standard is to do the Torah, to do the law of God, to practice it, and not just to know it, not just to read it or to hear it. Open your Bibles in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 21 <clears throat> to 23. This is that one that makes everyone shudder to their very core. What does he say? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. For he who does the will of my Father in heaven, he who does the will of my Father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You who practice lawlessness. Goodness me. And so you can see, he's talking about doing the Torah, doing the law. And just prior to that, from Matthew chapter 5 through to the end of Matthew 7, Jesus has been expounding on the law. He's been teaching, and he's actually raised the bar of righteousness. You know, he says things like, and we've said this before, you have heard that it was said, you know, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, if you look at a woman lustfully, then you've committed adultery in your heart. He, he internalizes the law. So it's not just about the act, it's about the motive, it's about the, the, the feeling within and what he's trying to do, and again, we've said before, but when you read Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, the only conclusion you can come to is that this is beyond me. I, I just, you know, I can't guarantee I'm not going to break these laws. Yes. Does everybody come to that same conclusion? Man, the, the standard is here. The standard's here. I'm just not going to reach that standard. And that's the point. That's the point. We all, we're not going to reach that standard unless we are enabled to do so by God himself. By the Spirit of God. Okay? Everybody with that? Praise the Lord. So, they've got the Torah, 
they hear it, they read it, they honour it, but unfortunately, they don't do it. We say they do do it. They do some things in the Torah. Open your Bibles in Galatians chapter 3. Who? 
Those who follow Jesus. James are Christians. Yes. Gentiles, are you with me? Gentile Christians, you, you and me. We follow, we, we fulfill the requirements, the moral requirements of the law. Because it's the Spirit of God that enables to, us to do it. Yes. So, so Paul is saying, I mean, you imagine that in the, in the ears of a Jew who is absolutely devoted to his expression of Judaism and following God, and he knows the Torah backwards. You can probably recite it, you know, and you, you and I can't. And yet, as Gentile Christians, we are fulfilling some of the things that are written within the law because we're enabled to do so by the Spirit of God. That was shocking for a Jew to listen to. To hear that there are Gentiles who are going to make it and Jews who won't. That's the point here. That's the point. So, so what he's saying is, when, again, when Gentiles who do not have the written law, the law, by nature, do things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Isn't that what um, Jeremiah describes a believer as? Somebody who's had the, the law written upon their hearts and upon their minds. The law. We might not have the written law, but we've got God's law written upon our hearts. We've got not just the law, we've got the desire to fulfill the law. Because God's Spirit has given us that. That's why you must be born again. Jew or Gentile, you must be born again. You must be enabled to, to walk in holiness. Good. Bless the Lord. So, let's move forward. Let's move forward in his argument. Verse 17 to verse 24. 17 to 24. So, let me just... Indeed, you are called a Jew and you rest on the Lord. And make your boast in God. And know his will. And approve the things that are excellent. Being instructed out of the law. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind. A light to those who are in darkness. An instructor of the foolish. A teacher of babes. Having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore who teach another. Do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal. Do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. That's quite a damning verdict, isn't it? Again, folks, remember who's speaking, the Apostle Paul. He, he, was, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a, a dedicated Jew, religiously, you know, and, and, and devoted to what he understood. And now he's bringing this, this charge against his fellow Jews. Can you imagine being a Jewish person hearing these words? Wow. And so he's, he's highlighting Jewish sin within the, within the context of God's covenant. Number one, we've just talked about this. It's not the possession of the law, nor the hearing of it, and, co and covenant that matters. It is the doing of the law. Jews in Paul's day would see no need for righteousness of God in Christ. They understood their sin 
as being taken, taken care of through the covenant. So, we've got to pause here and think through. We've got to go back into the first century, trying to get into the mind of the, the Pharisees and the religious people that were opposing Jesus. What kind of things were they coming up with? How did they think? What did they think about the, the world to come? About their own righteousness? Open your Bibles in John chapter 8. John gives us a, a, a look at some of these arguments, some of these thinking, some of this thinking. John chapter 8.
Right. Through this discourse here, you can have, you can see that there was, you can get into the mind of the, these religious Jews in the first century. And you can see that they're relying on what? We are Abraham's descendants. And because we are Abraham's descendants, God established his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and his descendants. Therefore, we have, we have, we have a birthright to inherit the world to come, the age to come. It's ours. We're Israel. We're physical descendants. What does Jesus say to these people? He's right. Their physical descendants he's speaking to. But he says, your father's not Abraham. Your father, you're of your father in the devil. Why? Because to be within the covenant, it's not just about physical, being a physical descendant. Abraham was justified by what? Faith is what justified Abraham. You do not display the faith of Abraham. And therefore, you are not of Abraham. Oh, we've got the circumcision. We've got the law. That's, all, that's the mind of the Jew. We, we were given the law. Yes, but you broke it. Oh, it's, well, we've, got, we've got circumcision. What are you going to do with that in a moment? We're part of the Abrahamic covenant because we're descendants. We're physical descendants. Everybody with me? Good. So, just to finish, let's go back to Romans 2. Romans 2. By the way, where Jesus said, Before Abraham was, I am, that's a claim to deity. Alright? They knew that, the Jews knew that, that's why they wanted to pick up stones and to stone him to death for blasphemy. That was a claim to deity, alright? Jesus was making very, very clear who he was. God in the flesh. Alright? So, going back into Romans chapter 2. I'm just going to read the last verses. So, so really, they've got nothing to stand upon. Um, let me just see something. Okay. Let's, let's look at this first before I do. We'll look at it. This one first. So let's think about the failure of the Jews. So he says again, he says again, uh, where are we? 16 to, yes. He says, verse 17, 2 verse 17, Indeed you are called a Jew and rest on the law, and make you boast in God, and know his law, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law. This is true. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who bore idols, do you not do wrong temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. So you can see that the, the accusation is there. By asking those questions, you say, you want to teach others, you want to do the light to the blind, you boast in the law of God, but you don't demonstrate it, you don't walk in it. You teaching others, you know, not to steal, do you steal? You teach others not to commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You teach others not to be involved with idolatry, do you rob temples? 
You, you who dis, uh, do dishonor God by breaking the law. That's the problem. That's the problem. They consider themselves to be guys, but they're blind guys. And you can even see the hypocrisy, can't you? The hypocrisy. You know, we want to teach you about God, but actually we're just going to, you know, we're going to break laws and everything else. We're going, to, we're going to point the finger at you. But the problem is we're breaking these things ourselves. We can't see it. And so Paul comes along inspired by the Holy Spirit. Remember this is the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and charges them. And if they're honest with themselves, they've done all of these things. Just the point about the rock temples, there's a bit of discussion about what that means. The natural understanding is that they were robbing pagan temples. There was something else where they would, they would uh, condemn idolatry, but actually they were, they were melting down idols and using the material for other things. There's a, there's a few uh, explanations. What, what it doesn't matter. What matters is that he's saying very clearly, look, you, you're acting hypocritically, you've broken the law, you want everybody else, you want to teach everybody else, but you're breaking it yourselves. Condemn yourselves by doing it. Okay. So going back. So 17 to 20 now. Uh, no, it's not. It's the rest of it. Okay. Oh, I've probably lost it. So anyway, let, let's just go on. Let's just summarize from 17 to 20. God has entered a special covenant relationship with the Jews. It's true. Verse 17. He's revealed his will to them more specifically through the law. It's true. Verse 18. He has called them to be a light to other nations through that law. Yeah? Called them to be a kingdom of priests to the nations. However, the problem is that the Jews have not lived up to these privileges. They've not lived up to them. They've broken the laws themselves. They've not been the light that they should be. They've become very, very much uh, introspective. So, he says, actually, yeah, he, he, he concludes by saying, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And we see that in Ezekiel, for example, in Ezekiel 36, verses 22 to 23. This is what the prophet says, that inspired by the Lord. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. And the nation shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when I am hallowed in you before their eyes. So the fact is that by their behaviour, by their rebellion, by their wickedness, by their sin, they've caused the name of God to be blasphemed amongst those Gentile nations. Remember, in the days of Ezekiel, he's... he's He's, he's in Babylon, but he's looking back into Jerusalem. He's been revealed. Things have been revealed to him about why these things have come upon the people of Israel. And you know, the fact is they're defeated. At the time of Ezekiel, they're defeated. They're in exile. God's holy people are under judgment. And they've been defeated. And they've been, they've been uh, uh, um, what's the word, subdued. They've been subdued by their enemies. What does that say about their God? Because in that world, if, if I had a God in my land, as the Babylonians did, and I came and I conquered your land, that meant, in my mind, that my God was stronger than your God. No. 
And so by, by, because of their wickedness, God has punished them by bringing in the Babylonians to take them into exile. And then the Babylonians and the Gentiles thinking, oh, the God of Israel is weak. Our gods are greater. They've caused the Gentiles to blaspheme the name of the Lord. But God says, he's going to vindicate his own name. I'll sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you will profane in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord. He doesn't leave it in that situation, guys. He won't and he can't. Understand? Well, that's quite... That's a charge, isn't it? That's, that's, that's quite damning. God's special people. It was supposed to be a light to the nations. It caused the nations to blaspheme because of their wickedness. Hmm. Okay, so the final part of this, this section, Romans chapter 2, verse 25 to the end of the chapter. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you're a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically circumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, uncircumcised, sorry, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even with your written code and circumcision are transgressors of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is his circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Okay, so once again, what's going on? What's in the mind of the Jew at the time? Circumcision marked God's covenant with Abraham and his descendants. Okay? God established that. Genesis chapter 22, verse 10 to 14. All of the male descendants on the eighth day must be circumcised to show that they are sons of the covenant. Paul stresses that circumcision alone, physical circumcision, does not guarantee membership in the covenant people of God. Because it's not just about the physical mark. Because even before the physical mark, there was faith. Abraham's faith is what justified him, not his circumcision. The circumcision was the outward mark of what happened on the inside. Circumcision was meant to always involve the heart. We see it in the Lord as well. In Deuteronomy, God makes it clear. He says, circumcise your hearts and not just your foreskins. That's what he says. Very clear. Circumcise your hearts. It's a matter of the heart. So that misunderstood. They misunderstood. It did not guarantee that there needed to be the obedience of faith. They needed to imitate the same faith that Abraham has. There's never been another way to salvation. We're going to see it's not something new. It was always by faith. It was never by law. It wasn't that in the Old Testament you were saved by law and in the new grace. Okay, there was always grace. The law had grace. If you broke the law, you would take up a sin offering up to the temple or to the tabernacle so that your, your, your fellowship with God might be restored, that you might receive forgiveness. That's grace. And that's part of the law. Do you understand? There's always been grace, guys. There's always been grace. 
But the fact is that salvation has always been, justification has always been through faith. It started what? You see, Abraham, don't you? The father of the faith. Okay? God establishes the covenant with him. It's not enough to have the physical mark. So, uncircumcised Gentiles, again, put yourself in the place of the Jews, listening to this. Uncircumcised Gentiles who keep the law's requirements will be treated as though they were circumcised. Now, who did we, who did we kind of suggest that those uncircumcised Gentiles were who were keeping the righteous requirements? Christian Gentiles. Us. Yeah? We may not carry the physical mark of Abraham. But he says, uncircumcised Gentiles who keep the Lord's requirements will be treated as though they were circumcised, as though they were part of the Abrahamic covenant. And we are. We're all sons and daughters of Abraham through faith. Galatians says. Paul says in Galatians. Okay? It says, interestingly, verse 27, it says that these people will even judge the Jew. Now again, there's some debate among scholars about exactly what that means. Does that mean that in some way Gentile Christians will, will part, be participants in the judgment when it comes to judging Jews? We don't. Or does it mean, simply, that the righteous behaviour of the Gentile Christians condemns the Jews, judges them, because they've missed it? You with me? Okay. Maybe Paul is referring to Gentile Christians, but it's also possible he's speaking hypothetically. That's the, that's the debate. The fact is, God always required circumcision of the heart. Always. The physical marks are not enough. They're not. And by saying that, friends, when he says that, he, um, he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. Okay, it's not meant to be one without the other. In the spirit, not in the letter. Whose praise is, is not from men, but from God. That's why we say like, a Jew, in the truest sense, is a messianic Jew. A Jew in the fullest sense is a messianic Jew. If they don't know Jesus the Messiah, they're not, they're not full. They're not in their doors. Makes sense. It's, it's, like, it's kind of like saying, you know, and I'm, please don't read too much into this, but like, you know, a real British person is somebody who believes in the monarchy. There's something that makes you inherently British. That doesn't work, you know. That's what I'm saying. A true Jew is one who's not just carrying the, the physical mark of circumcision. Not just has the law, but has the circumcised heart. Who has the faith of Abraham. That's a true Jew. So is it Orthodox Jew? Yes. The Orthodox Jew does not recognise Jesus Christ, Jesus as Messiah. Does it? The Orthodox, the Orthodox Jew, bless him. The Orthodox Jew today, you've got, like in Christianity, you've got different expressions of Orthodox Judaism. The Orthodox Jew will say he, he is following Judaism. The trouble is, you can't follow Judaism without a temple. Can't follow Judaism without a temple. And if you go to Jerusalem today, you won't find a temple. You don't see the yearly atoning sacrifice on the day of atonement. You can't see it. So, what they're actually following is they're following what they call rabbinic Judaism. <coughs> so, when the temple was destroyed by the Romans in AD 70, 
the Jews got together naturally, they had to redefine what Judaism was to survive. And so they came, they, 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 they redefined it, okay? They, 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 the priests had gone, so now it was about the rabbis. Now we've got the, um, the temple anymore, so now it's about meeting in the synagogues. They hadn't got the sacrifices anymore, so now the sacrifices were, were exchanged for good deeds, righteous deeds. So, rabbinic Judaism today, the orthodox actually follows, it's not biblical Judaism. Though they, of course, they ascribe to a lot of the, the tenets of the faith. You know, one God and so on. Does that answer your question? Okay. So, friends, basically, in Romans chapter 2, in Romans chapter 1, we've seen him bring his charge against the Gentile world, the Jews of the world. Ask to Romans. Romans chapter 2, he brings his charge against the Jews. Yes, you've got privileges. Yes, you've got the law. Yes, you've got circumcision. But you know what? It's not enough. It's not enough. You've got to have faith. Got to have faith. And we're going to see that later on in his argument. So, as we move into chapter 3, we're going to see he's going to conclude, he's going to bring it all together, he's going to summarize and really just bring a, a final concluding statement that puts us all on an equal level, all of us, Gentiles and Jews. And then he's going to begin to unpack God's way of becoming righteous. If there's no way of becoming righteous through the moral law, through revelation, through the written law, how can we become righteous? That's what we're going to look at as we move forward. Amen? Good. It's 25 past 7. Have yourselves a break. Have yourselves a tea or a This is come back in a while chat to finish. Our vision is to be a worshipping community at the heart of Kings Winford. Where every home is an expression of the Kingdom. And every believer a disciple of the King. Our mission is to be obedient to the Great Commission. Through the faithful proclamation of the Gospel. Developing, equipping and sending of disciples. Welcome to King's Winford Christian Centre.